0: Welcome to Lifeline Theatres On The Air. I'm Alicia Duncan, Artistic Director. From Rogers Park in Chicago, Illinois, we invite you to open your mind to Tales of Poe, a dimension of sensation, of sound, of stories and sonnets from Edgar Allan Poe. This is the third Tales of Poe, from the deep caverns of macabre tales for Halloween or All Hallows' Eve. If you're enjoying Tales of Poe, you can support our podcast at patreon.com slash lifelinetheater. You might want to also check out First Folio Theater's Prisoners and Mad Men, two streaming video tales from their 2018 production of The Madness of Edgar Allan Poe, running now through October 31st. For more information, visit firstfolio.org. Tonight's first story is Annabelle Lee, performed by ensemble member Phil Timberlake.
1: It was many and many a year ago in a kingdom by the sea that a maiden there lived whom you may know by the name of Annabelle Lee. And this maiden she lived with no other thought than to love and be loved by me. I was a child and she was a child in this kingdom by the sea. But we loved with a love that was more than love, I and my Annabel Lee. With a love that the winged seraphs of heaven coveted her and me. And this was the reason that long ago, in this kingdom by the sea, a wind blew out of a cloud Chilling my beautiful Annabel Lee, so that her high-born kinsmen came and bore her away from me to shut her up in a sepulchre in this kingdom by the sea. The angels, not half so happy in heaven, went envying her and me. Yes, that was the reason, as all men know in this kingdom by the sea, that the wind came out of the cloud by night, chilling and killing my Annabel Lee. But our love it was stronger by far than the love of those who were older than we, of many far wiser than we, and neither the angels in heaven above nor the demons down under the sea can ever dissever my soul from the soul of the beautiful Annabel Lee. For the moon never beams without bringing me dreams of the beautiful Annabel Lee, and the stars never rise but I feel the bright eyes of the beautiful Annabel Lee; And so all the night tide I lie down by the side Of my darling, my darling, my life and my bride, In the sepulchre there by the sea, In her tomb by the sounding sea.
0: Our next story is Telltale Heart performed by ensemble member James E. Grote.
2: True. Nervous. Very, very dreadfully nervous. I had been and am. But why will you say that I am mad? The disease had sharpened my senses, not dulled them. Above all, Was the sense of hearing acute? I heard all things in the heaven and in the earth. How then am I mad? Hearken and observe how healthily, how calmly I can tell you the whole story. It is impossible to say how first the idea entered my brain, but once conceived, it haunted me day and night. Object there was none, passion there was none. I loved the old man. He had never wronged me, he had never given me insult, for his gold I had no desire. I think it was his eye. Yes, it was this. One of his eyes resembled that of a vulture, a pale blue eye with a film over it. Whenever it fell upon me, my blood ran cold, and so by degrees, very gradually, I made up my mind to take the life of the old man and thus rid myself of the eye forever. Now this is the point. You think me mad. Mad men know nothing, but you should have seen me. How wisely I proceeded. I was never kinder to the old man than during the whole week before I killed him. And every night, about midnight, I turned the latch of his door and opened it, oh, so gently. And then, when I had made an opening sufficient for my head, I put in a dark lantern, all closed, closed, so that no light shone out. And then I thrust in my head and moved it slowly, very, very slowly, so that I might not disturb the old man's sleep. It took me an hour to place my whole head within the opening so far that I could see him as he lay upon his bed. (laughs) Would a madman have been so wise as this? And then, when my head was well in the room, I undid the lantern cautiously, cautiously, for the hinges creaked just so much that a single thin ray fell upon the vulture eye. And this I did for seven long nights every night just at midnight but I found the eye always closed and so it was impossible to do the work for it was not the old man who vexed me but his evil eye and every morning when the day broke I went boldly into the chamber calling him by name in a hearty tone and inquiring how he had passed the night so you see He would have been a very profound old man indeed to suspect that every night just at twelve, I looked in upon him while he slept. Upon the eighth night, I was more than usually cautious in opening the door. A watch's minute hand moves more quickly than did mine. Never before that night had I felt the extent of my own powers. I could scarcely contain my feelings of triumph to think there I was, opening the door little by little, and he not even to dream of my secret deeds or thoughts. (laughs) I fairly chuckled at the idea. Perhaps he heard me, for he moved on the bed suddenly, as if startled. Now you may think that I drew back, but no. His room was as black as pitch with the thick darkness, and so I knew that he could not see the opening of the door, and I kept pushing it on, steadily steadily. I had my head in and was about to open the lantern when my thumb slipped upon the tin fastening and the old man sprang up in the bed, crying out, who's there? I kept quite still and said nothing. For a whole hour, I did not move a muscle. And in the meantime, I did not hear him lie down. He was still sitting up in the bed, Listening. When I had waited a long time, very patiently, without hearing him lie down, I resolved to open a little, a very, very little crevice in the lantern. So I opened it. You cannot imagine how stealthily, stealthily, until at length a single dim ray, like the thread of a spider, shot from out the crevice and full upon the vulture eye. It was open, wide, wide open, and I grew furious as I gazed upon it. I saw it with perfect distinctness, all a dull blue with a hideous veil over it that chilled the very marrow in my bones. But I could see nothing else of the old man's face or person, for I had directed the ray as if by instinct. "'precisely upon the damned spot. "'And now, have I not told you "'that what you mistake for madness "'is but over-acuteness of the senses? "'Now, I say, there came to my ears "'a low, dull, quick sound "'such as a watch makes when enveloped in cotton. "'I knew that sound well, too. "'It was the beating of the old man's heart.' But even yet, I refrained and kept still. I scarcely breathed. I held the lantern motionless. I tried how steadily I could maintain the ray upon the eye. Meantime, the hellish tattoo of the heart increased. It grew louder and louder every instant. The old man's terror must have been extreme. It grew louder, I say. Do you mark me well? I have told you that I am nervous, so I am. And now, at the dead hour of the night, amid the dreadful silence of that old house, so strange a noise as this excited me to uncontrollable terror. But for some minutes longer, I refrained and stood still. But the beating grew louder, louder. And now a new anxiety seized me. The sound would be heard by a neighbor, a loud yell. I threw open the lantern and leaped into the room. He shrieked once, once only. In an instant, I dragged him to the floor and pulled the heavy bed over him. But for many minutes, the heart beat on with a muffled sound. This, however, did not vex me. It would not be heard through the wall. At length, it ceased. I removed the bed and examined the corpse placed my hand upon the heart, and held it there many minutes. There was no pulsation. He was stone dead. His eye would trouble me no more. If you still think me mad, you will think so no longer when I describe the wise precautions I took for the concealment of the body. First of all, I cut off the head and the arms and the legs. There was no blood stain of any kind. A tub had caught all. I then took up three planks from the flooring of the chamber and deposited him between the scanlings. I then replaced the board so cleverly, so cunningly, that no human eye, (laughs) not even his, could have detected anything wrong. When I had made an end of these labors, it was four o'clock, still dark as midnight. As the bell sounded the hour, there came a knocking at the street door down to open it with a light heart. For what had I now to fear? There entered three men who introduced themselves with perfect suavity as officers of the police. A shriek had been heard by a neighbor during the night. Suspicion of foul play had been aroused and they, the officers, had been deputed to search the premises. I smiled. For what had I to fear? I bade the gentlemen welcome. The shriek, I said, was my own in a dream. The old man I mentioned was absent in the country. I took my visitors all over the house. I bade them search, search well. I led them at length to his chamber. I showed them his treasures, secure, undisturbed. In the enthusiasm of my confidence, I brought chairs into the room and desired them here to rest from their fatigues while I myself placed my own seat upon the very spot beneath which reposed the corpse of the victim. The officers were satisfied. My manner convinced them I was singularly at ease. They sat, and while I answered cheerily, they chatted familiar things. But ere long, I felt myself getting pale and wished them gone. My head ached, and I fancied a ringing in my ears. But still they sat and still chatted. The ringing became more distinct. It continued and became more distinct. I talked more freely to get rid of the feeling, but it continued and gained definitiveness until, at length, I found that the noise was not within my ears. No doubt I now grew very pale, but I talked more fluently and with a heightened voice. And the sound increased, and what could I do? It was a low, Dull, quick sound, much such a sound as a watch makes when enveloped in cotton. I gasped for breath, and yet the officers heard it not. I talked more quickly, more vehemently, but the noise steadily increased. I arose and argued about trifles. Why would they not be gone? I paced the floor to and fro with heavy strides, as if excited to fury by the observation of the men, but the noise steadily increased. Could I do? I foamed, I raved, I swore, but the noise arose over all and continually increased. It grew louder, 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 and still the men chatted pleasantly and smiled. Was it possible they heard not? No, no, they heard, they suspected, they knew. They were making a mockery of my horror. But anything was better than this agony. I could bear those hypocritical smiles no longer. And now, again, hark. Louder, 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 louder. Villains, I shrieked. Pretend no more. I admit the deed. Tear up the planks. Here, here. It is the beating of his hideous heart.
0: Next up is The Bells, performed by ensemble members Elise Kozlarik, James E. Grote,
3: and Peter Greenberg. Hear the sledges with the bells, silver bells, what a world of merriment their melody foretells! How they tinkle, tinkle, tinkle in the icy air of night, while the stars that oversprinkle all the heavens seem to twinkle with a crystalline delight, keeping time, time, time in a sort of runic rhyme to the tintinnabulation that so musically wells from the bells bells, 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 from the jingling and the tinkling of the bells.
1: Hear
2: the mellow wedding bells, golden bells, what a world of happiness their harmony foretells. Through the balmy air of night, how they ring out their delight from the molten golden notes, and all in tune, what a liquid ditty floats to the turtle dove that listens while she gloats on the moon. Oh, from out the sounding cells, what a gush of euphony voluminously wells, how it swells, how it dwells on the future, how it tells of the rapture that impels to the swinging and the ringing of the bells, 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 bells. of the bells, 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 bells. to the rhyming and the chiming of the bells.
4: Hear the loud alarm bells brazen bells what tale of terror now their turbulency tells in the startled ear of night how they scream out their affright too much horrified to speak they can only shriek shriek out of tune in a clamorous appealing to the mercy of the fire in a mad expostulation with the deaf and frantic fire leaping higher 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 with a desperate desire and a resolute endeavor now, now to sit or never, by the side of the pale-faced moon.
2: Oh, the the bells, bells, bells,
4: bells! What a tale their terror tells of despair! How they clang and clash and roar! What a horror they outpour on the bosom of the palpitating air! Yet the ear it fully knows by the twanging and the clanging how the danger ebbs and flows. Yet the ear distinctly tells in the jangling and the wrangling how the danger sinks and swells by the sinking or the swelling in the anger of the bells, of the bells, of the bells, 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 bells. bells, In the clamor and the clangor of the bells.
3: Hear the tolling of the bells, iron bells. What a world of solemn thought their monody compels. In the silence of the night, how we shiver with affright at the melancholy minutes of their tone. For every sound that floats from the rust within their throats is a groan.
2: And the people, ah, the people, they that dwell up in the steeple all alone, and, and who tolling tolling, 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 tolling in that muffled monotone Feel a glory in so rolling on the human heart a stone They are neither man nor woman They are neither brute nor human They are ghouls, and their king it is who tolls And, and he, rolls, he rolls, 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 rolls A peeing from
4: the bells, and his merry bosom swells With the pean of the bells And he dances and he yells, keeping keeping time, 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 time in a sort of of runic runic rhyme. rhyme.
3: To the peon of the bells of the bells, keeping Keeping time, time, time,
4: time, in a sort of 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 runic runic rhyme.
2: To the throbbing of the bells, of the bells, 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 bells,
4: to the sobbing of the bells. Keeping time time, 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 time as, as he bells, knells, knells in a happy rhythmic rhyme.
3: To the rolling of the bells, of, of the, the bells,
2: bells, bells, bells. To the tolling of the bells,
3: of, of the, the bells, 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 bells,
2: bells, 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 bells,
4: bells. To the moaning and the groaning of the
0: bells. Our final story is Mask of the Red Death, performed by ensemble members Elise Cazalard and Anthony Care.
3: The Red Death had long devastated the country. No pestilence had ever been so fatal or so hideous. Blood was its avatar and its seal the redness and the horror of blood. There were sharp pains and sudden dizziness and then profuse bleeding at the pores with dissolution. The scarlet stains upon the body and especially upon the face of the victim were the pest band which shut him out from the aid and from the sympathy of his fellow men. And the whole seizure, progress and termination of the disease were the incidents of half an hour.
5: But the Prince Prospero was happy and dauntless and sagacious.
3: When his dominions were half depopulated, he summoned to his presence a thousand hale and light-hearted friends from among the knights and dames of his court, and with these retired to the deep seclusion of one of his castellated abbeys.
5: This was an extensive and magnificent structure, the creation of the Prince's own eccentric yet august taste. A strong and lofty wall girdled it in. This wall had gates of iron.
3: The courtiers, having entered, brought furnaces and massy hammers and welded the bolts. They resolved to leave means neither of ingress or egress to the sudden impulses of despair or of frenzy from within.
5: The abbey was amply provisioned. With such precautions, the courtiers might bid defiance to contagion, The external world could take care of itself in the meantime it was folly to grieve or to think the prince had provided all the appliances of pleasure there were buffoons there were improvisatory there were ballet dancers there were musicians there was beauty there was wine all these and security were within
3: without was the red death It was toward the close of the fifth or sixth month of his seclusion, and while the pestilence raged most furiously abroad, that the Prince Prospero entertained his thousand friends at a masked ball of the most unusual magnificence.
5: It was a voluptuous scene, that masquerade. But first, let me tell of the rooms in which it was held. There were seven, an imperial suite, In many palaces, however, such suites form a long and straight vista, while the folding doors slide back nearly to the walls on either hand, so that the view of the whole extent is scarcely impeded. Here, the case was very different.
3: As might have been expected from the Duke's love of the bazaar. The apartments were so irregularly disposed that the vision embraced but little more than one at a time. There was a sharp turn at every twenty or thirty yards, and at each turn a novel effect. To the right and left, in the middle of each wall, a tall and narrow Gothic window looked out upon a closed corridor which pursued the windings of the suite.
5: These windows were of stained glass, whose color varied in accordance with the prevailing hue of the decorations of the chamber into which it opened. That at the eastern extremity was hung, for example, in blue, and vividly blue were its windows.
3: The second chamber was
5: purple in its ornaments and tapestries, and here the panes were purple. The third was green throughout, and so were the casements. The fourth was furnished and lighted with orange. The fifth with white the sixth with violet. The seventh apartment was closely shrouded in black velvet tapestries that hung all over the ceiling and down the walls, falling in heavy folds upon a carpet of the same material and hue. But in this chamber only, the color of the windows failed to correspond with the decorations. The panes here were scarlet, a deep blood color.
3: Now, in no one of the seven apartments was there any lamp or candelabrum amid the profusion of golden ornaments that lay scattered to and fro, or depended from the roof. There was no light of any kind emanating from lamp or candle within the suite of chambers. But in the corridors that followed the suite, there stood, opposite to each window, a heavy tripod bearing a brazier of fire that projected its rays through the tinted glass and so glaringly illumined the room.
5: And thus were produced a multitude of gaudy and fantastic appearances.
3: But in the western or black chamber, the effect of the firelight that streamed upon the dark hangings through the blood-tinted panes was ghastly in the extreme and produced so wild a look upon the countenances of those who entered that there were few of the company bold enough to set foot within its precincts at all. It was in this apartment also that there stood against the Western wall a gigantic clock of ebony. Its pendulum swung to and fro with a dull, heavy, monotonous clang. And when the minute hand made the circuit of the face and the hour was to be stricken, there came from the brazen lungs of the clock a sound which was clear and loud and deep and exceedingly musical, but of so peculiar a note and emphasis that at each lapse of an hour, the musicians of the orchestra were constrained to pause momentarily in their performance to hearken to the sound.
5: But when the echoes had fully ceased, a light laughter at once pervaded the assembly. The musicians looked at each other and smiled as if at their own nervousness and folly, and made whispering vows, each to the other, that the next chiming of the clock should produce in them no similar emotion.
3: And then, after the lapse of sixty minutes, there came yet another chiming of the clock, and then were the same disconcert and tremulousness and meditation as before.
5: But in spite of these things, it was a gay and magnificent revel. The tastes of the Duke were peculiar. He had a fine eye for colors and effects. He disregarded the decor of mere fashion. His plans were bold and fiery, and his conceptions glowed with barbaric lustre. There are some who would have thought him mad. His followers felt that he was not. It was necessary to hear and see and touch him to be sure that he was not. He had directed, in great part, the movable embellishments of the Seven Chambers upon occasion of this great fate, and it was his own guiding taste which had given character to the masqueraders.
3: Be sure they were grotesque. There were much glare and glitter and piquancy and phantasm. There were arabesque figures with unsuited limbs and appointments. There were delirious fancies such as the madman fashions. There were much of the beautiful, much of the wanton, much of the bizarre, something of the terrible, and not a little of that which might have excited disgust. To and fro in the seven chambers there stalked, in fact, a multitude of dreams, and these, The dreams writhed in and about, taking hue from the rooms and causing the wild music of the orchestra to seem as the echo of their steps. And anon, there strikes the ebony clock which stands in the hall of the velvet. And then, for a moment, all is still and all is silent save the voice of the clock. The dreams are stiff, frozen as they stand, but the echoes of the chime die away. They have endured but an instant, and a light half-subdued laughter floats after them as they depart.
5: And now again the music swells, and the dreams live and writhe to and fro more merrily than ever, taking hue from the many tinted windows through which stream the rays from the tripods.
3: But to the chamber which lies most westwardly of the seven, there are now none of the maskers who venture. For the night is waning away. And there flows a ruddier light through the blood-colored panes, and the blackness of the sable drapery appalls. And to him whose foot falls upon the sable carpet, there comes from the near clock of ebony a muffled peal more solemnly emphatic than any which reaches their ears who indulge in the more remote gaieties of the other apartments.
5: But these other apartments were densely crowded, and in them beat feverishly the heart of life and the revel went whirlingly on, until at length there commenced the sounding of midnight upon the clock.
3: And Then the music ceased, as I have told, and the evolutions of the waltzers were quieted, and there was an uneasy cessation of all things as before. But now there were twelve strokes to be sounded by the bell of the clock, and thus it happened, perhaps, that more of thought crept with more of time into the meditations of the thoughtful among those who reveled. And thus, too, it happened, perhaps, that before the last echoes of the last chime had utterly sunk into silence, there were many individuals in the crowd who had found leisure to become aware of the presence... Of a masked figure which had arrested the attention of no single individual before and the rumor of this new presence having spread itself whisperingly around there arose at length from the whole company a buzz or murmur expressive of disapprobation and surprise then finally of terror of horror and of disgust in an assembly of phantasms such as I have painted, it may well be supposed that no ordinary appearance could have excited such sensation. In truth, the masquerade license of the night was nearly unlimited, but the figure in question had out Herod.
5: And gone beyond the bounds of even the prince's indefinite decorum.
3: There are chords in the hearts of the most reckless which cannot be touched without emotion. Even with the utterly lost to whom life and death are equally jests, there are matters of which no jest can be made. The whole company indeed seemed now deeply to feel that in the costume and bearing of the stranger neither wit nor propriety existed. The figure was tall and gaunt, and shrouded from head to foot in the habiliments of the grave. The mask which concealed the visage was made so nearly to resemble the countenance of a stiffened corpse that the closest scrutiny must have had difficulty in detecting the cheat. And yet all this might have been endured if not approved by the mad revellers around.
5: But the Mummer had gone so far as to assume the type of the Red Death. His vesture was dabbled in blood, and his broad brow, with all the features of the face, was besprinkled with the scarlet horror.
3: When the eyes of Prince Prospero fell upon this spectral image, which, with a slow and solemn movement, as if more fully to sustain its role, stalked to and fro among the waltzers, he was seen to be convulsed. In the first moment, with a strong shudder, either of terror or distaste, but in the next, his brow reddened with rage. Who
5: dares? Who dares insult us with this "'Blasphemous mockery! "'Seize him and unmask him, "'that we may know whom we have to hang "'at sunrise from the battlements!'
3: "'It was in the eastern, or blue, chamber "'in which stood the Prince Prospero "'as he uttered these words. "'They rang throughout the seven rooms "'loudly and clearly, "'for the Prince was a bold and robust man "'and the music had become hushed "'at the waving of his hand. "'It was in the blue room "'where stood the Prince, "'with a group of pale courtiers by his side.' At first, as he spoke, there was a slight rushing movement of this group in the direction of the intruder, who, at the moment, was also near at hand, and now, with deliberate and stately step, made closer approach to the speaker. But from a certain nameless awe with which the mad assumptions of the mummer had inspired the whole party, there were found none who put forth hand to seize him so that, unimpeded, he passed within a yard of the prince's person, and, while the vast assembly, as if with one impulse, shrank from the centres of the room to the walls, he made his way uninterruptedly, but with the same solemn and measured step, which had distinguished him from the first, through the blue chamber to the purple. Through the
5: purple to the green. Through the green to the orange. Through this again to the white.
3: And even thence to the violet, ere a decided movement had been made to arrest him.
5: It was then, however, that the Prince Prospero, maddening with rage and the shame of his own momentary cowardice, rushed hurriedly through the six chambers, while none followed him on account of a deadly terror that had seized upon all. He bore aloft a drawn dagger and had approached in rapid impetuosity to within three or four feet of the retreating figure, when the latter, having attained the extremity of the Velvet Apartment, turned suddenly and confronted his pursuer.
3: There was a sharp cry and the dagger dropped gleaming upon the sable carpet upon which instantly afterwards fell prostrate in death the Prince Prospero then summoning the wild courage of despair a throng of the revelers at once threw themselves into the black apartment and seizing the mummer whose tall figure stood erect and motionless within the shadow of the ebony clock gasped in unutterable horror at finding the grave cerements and corpse-like mask which they handled with so violent a rudeness untenanted by any tangible form and now was acknowledged the presence of the Red Death. He had come like a thief in the night, and one by one dropped the revelers in the blood-bedewed halls of their revel and died each in the despairing posture of his fall. And the life of the ebony clock went out with that of the last of the gay and the flames of the tripods expired. And darkness and decay and the red death held illimitable dominion over all.
0: Tonight's episode was directed by ensemble member Bilal Dardai, produced by Lifeline Theatre and sound concept media. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast to hear about future projects. You can support our podcast at patreon.com slash Lifeline Theater.